Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. And now a quick word from one of our sponsors. Our new sponsor, Side Effect Support, is an online resource for cancer patients, caregivers, and healthcare providers to reduce harmful oral side effects of chemotherapy and radiation. Created by a registered dental hygienist who has worked in the dental field for 30 years, Side Effect Support offers affordable, over-the-counter, and prescription oral healthcare products that ease the side effects of treatment while also protecting oral health. Go to SideEffectSupport.com. That's SideEffectSupport.com. Get 10% off your first order with the coupon code CANCERU. Gary Burley is a retired National Football League veteran, and he's actually been in a Super Bowl. He'll tell you more about that. Gary is also a cancer survivor whose mission after recovery has been to pay it forward. Gary, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled. And you said before I hit record that you've been looking forward to it, and I have as well. Um, You have so much going on. So tell us who you are and what you're doing right now. Well, as you mentioned, uh, I'm a 10-year National Football League veteran. And um, I found in those 10 years, the easiest way to get to a quarterback is a straight line. So let me get straight to why I'm here today and why I appreciate you interviewing me. Please. I get a little emotional when I think about this because I know what everybody's going through that has been diagnosed with cancer. And your first thoughts are, oh, my God, not me not let me get to the doctors and find out what I need to do and develop a plan. And that's basically what you have to do. Mm -hmm. So I, um, as an athlete, a former athlete, I've always thought that I could survive anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you get hurt, you get fixed, you get hurt, you get fixed. That's, that's the mentality that I've always had. And one day, I started noticing my knee would swell. It, was, it wasn't painful. It was just swelling, and the swelling wouldn't go down. Were you still playing at this time? No, no, no. This was uh, four, four years ago. Oh, okay. All right. Wow. Yeah. And uh, my wife said, you know, you need to go to a doctor because this swelling, is, you can't hide it anymore. I can tell. I can look at it, and I can tell. So finally, I went to my doctor, and they... Um, suggested that I see an oncologist. And when I heard that word, oncologist from my internal medicine guy, I got a little nervous, to be honest with you. But I said, okay, I'll do it. So they set up an appointment over at UAB. And I went to see my guy and they did the test. And they found that um, I had um, multiple myeloma. Uh, it was another form that they called it, but that's the, bo- the bottom line of what it was. A blood cancer, correct? Yes, yeah. yes. And um, they said we need to start um, treatment immediately. So, uh, you know, you're gathering all this information in your head, but you're not hearing it. 
You know what I'm saying? You're sitting there and you're fighting, um, you know, cancer in your head. You think you know everything about it, but you don't. And um, on the other side, you're hearing treatment. So my treatment started. And I, um, I went through a, I guess it was about a year of chemo. And uh, it didn't get any better and it didn't get any worse. So my doctors told me that uh, the next step would be a uh, bone marrow transplant. So I'm going like, oh my God, you know, so, all right. So I'm thinking, all right, you're gonna have to find a donor. You're gonna have to do this and you have to do that. And then after this, after another blood test, they said, well, you can use your own stem cells. And I'm going like, the blessings are starting. Mm. You know, I mean, you don't have to go through the process of, of finding a donor and searching for a donor and the whole nine yards. You can use your own stem cells and possibly heal yourself. So I took a, um, a while and the doctors finally said, okay, let's do this. And I t- <laughs> it, was, it was not funny. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh. But no, I, I, it's I'm, okay. I, I'm reminiscing about that time when I've got the doctors in the room and they're saying, uh, how are you gonna feel after you do this bone marrow transplant? Some days you're gonna feel perfect. Some days you're gonna feel like you're dying. This is what they said to you. This is what they told me. Trying to prepare you, I guess. Yes. So I'm going like, dying, wait a minute. (laughs) (laughs) We're trying to avoid that, right? (laughs) Yes, yes, let's let's try to avoid that part. But uh, anyway, they were correct. Uh, I had my bone marrow transplant. I'm in the hospital, which I was in the hospital for three months, I might add. What? Yeah. Well, what happened was, what had happened was, um, I um, contracted this virus uh, called uh, whatever it was. It was a virus and it had attacked my kidneys. And if it would have got to my heart, I'd have been dead. So the doctors were right about one thing. You're going to feel like you're dying. And that was, they were correct on that. Anyway, um, after the three months I was in, add on another month fighting this um, infection. Yeah. So um, I'm in the hospital. I'm taking all these, I mean, I took more antibiotics and medicines that you could ever dream of. And I'm quite sure that anybody else that's been through it knows exactly what I'm saying. Anyway, the doctors were in the room and I was, they thought I was asleep, but I wasn't. And I hear one of them say, he's not going to make it. This infection is, is going to uh, get to his heart and he's done. So I'm laying there in the bed and my mom is rubbing my head like she did when I was a little boy. And, and she said these words to me. She said, peace be still. You're going to be fine. Peace Be Still was a James Cleveland song that we listened to every Sunday when I was a little boy. Oh, I just got chills, really. Oh. And my father was in the bathroom reading the newspaper like he always did. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, he goes, uh, that's right. And that's all he said. Well, when I woke up, my wife was at the foot of the bed like she always was working on Alabama power, keeping people's lights on and keeping my light on. So I said, honey, uh, where's my mom? I smell her perfume. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I said, 
where's my mom? And she said, honey, your mom's been in heaven for 25 years. Oh, my gosh. Ugh. I said, no, she was Ugh. here last night. And she told me that, oh peace be still, I'm going to be fine. Well, the next, the next um, thing that happened was there were nine doctors in my room. And all of them have this puzzled look on their face. They're like, there's no sign of the infection. Oh, God. He's, he's, he's fine. And I'm telling you, nobody can tell me that my mother was not in that room with my father that night to tell me about, I'm going to be fine. So anyway, make a long story short, I got um, out of the hospital within the next two weeks. Wow. What year and, uh, now, just to give us a frame of reference, like 20. What, what year was it? Yeah. 2014, 2014. Exactly. Okay. Like I said, the, uh, the uh, damage that was done to my kidneys, especially with a history of high blood pressure, I guess a year or so later, I went back to the doctor to find out that I needed a kidney transplant. And it's like, wow. Did they say that so, was going to be a possibility because of were they concerned like your kidneys were, they were going to give out? Did they kind of prepare you for that at all? No, not at all, because it, it wasn't known at the time. I had to go back to a, uh, a nephrologist to, uh, and thank God for that nephrologist over at UAB. Um, he told me that, you know, you've got, you got to have a kidney transplant and pretty soon we're going to have to put you on dialysis. I had uh, function. I had lost one kidney. And um, uh, due to a, a growth that they found. Um, and whoa, whoa, they, wait, wait, when did you lose that kidney? Wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Back up, Gary. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't tell you that part? No. <laughs> well, I, I went to a nephrologist and they told me that um, uh, this was after the uh, bone marrow transplant. And I went to the nephrologist and he told me that there's some growths on your kidney. So I'm thinking, okay, remove the growth, keep on going. He said, no, we got to remove the kidney. He said, because if, if it spreads, you know, cancer would spread and, you know, you'd have some more problems. So I'm thinking, okay, here we go again. And I went and had the surgery. And then that I was, was the on, first kidney. That was the first kidney. Okay. Got that it. was the good one. <laughs> so then the other one, I had my test and they said the other one was functioning at uh, 30, 30 something percent. And they said, well, you're going to have to do dialysis at some point, not right now, but get all your affairs in order. When you, when you hear a doctor say, get your affairs in order, you start thinking, man, you know, you pray and you think. And, um, you know, without my wife, I got to say this, I wouldn't be here today because, you know, I, I was in a position where I was ready to give up to be honest with you, but the training that I've had through sports and the, 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 uh, the lessons that my mom and dad taught me, and then having this wonderful woman uh, coach me on the sideline and be there for everything, helped me to survive. And um, I'm telling everybody out there that you've got to keep fighting, no matter what they tell you, you keep fighting because God is gonna make the initial decision whether you be here or not. So don't you worry about that. You let him handle that and you just do everything you can possibly do to still be here. Well, I did and I entered dialysis and 
here's the thing with a cancer survivor, in order to get um, on the kidney transplant list, you have to wait two years before you can apply for a kidney. Two years? Yes. So I was on dialysis for three and a half years, two years waiting to apply for the, uh, for the uh, transplant. Well, anyway, I said, okay, I'll deal with it. And I met so many wonderful people on dialysis, cancer survivors, uh, kidney patients, the whole nine yards. We're all sitting there every day, thanking God that we're still here alive, not thinking about um, what we went through, but how can we help other people that are going through this? And that gave me the idea of supporting uh, cancer research. So we did a, um, you know, my nonprofit, ProStart Academy. Um, we did, we do a celebrity golf tournament every year. And uh, our partner is Alabama Power Company. They leverage their vendors and suppliers into sponsorships and forces. So I said, how can I pay back or start my payback journey to UAB um, for saving my life a couple times? That's just the first time they saved my life. There's a couple more times in there that they did as well. And I thought, what if I could generate monies um, for cancer research? So, you know, my wife said, well, you know, I said, honey, uh, what do you think about me donating proceeds from the Celebrity Golf Tournament to UAB? And she said, fine. And uh, she always agrees with everything I say. But then on the other side, she'll say, but <laughs> <laughs> you need to do this, this and that, which I which I definitely appreciate her input because uh, she couldn't have been she couldn't have got to where she is today if she didn't do the things she's doing now. So anyway, make a long story short, we had the golf tournament. And we raised $25,000 for UAB's cancer research. And I am so proud of that, not only because of the, the dollar amount, but because I feel like I'm paying it forward. They saved my life and maybe I can save somebody else's by being an advocate for cancer and uh, kidney uh, transplants. Because there's so many people out there that once they get this news, they shut down. And if I hadn't gotten early detection, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. You know, so I want everybody out there that's listening to us now to, to, to pass it on to other people on social media or whatever you can do to tell a cancer survivor or a kidney transplant person in need to get out there and market themselves. Get out there and find out the, all the information that you need about the disease. But then if you're a transplant, uh, need, if you're in need of a transplant, right. you start a marketing campaign. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I agree. So much <laughs> to unpack, which is a word I don't really like in this context, but it's true. Um, I want you to take us back. So tell, tell everyone, just remember, you know, this is going to an audience that may not know you they're meeting you for the first time um tell us a little bit about your athletic career and you said that you know how being an athlete really taught you how to go through this and and make that connection for us as well so first take us back to 
you were an athlete. Okay. Um, yes, I was an athlete. And uh, it all started back in high school. I was an all-star athlete in junior high school. But when I got to high school, I had more interest in girls and, and, <laughs> and cars. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, so I took uh, a job with um, nation, Nationwide Insurance. I was cleaning office buildings. I mean, I was happy. I had a car. I had a girlfriend. You know, I mean, that, that's all I wanted. And uh, my coach, who, who now are one of my best friends, uh, I met. And he said, well, what are you doing? He says, you're cleaning office buildings? He says, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life? And I go, no. I don't know what I want to do. He said, you're so talented that you might want to consider going to college and, you know, the whole nine yards of story he told me. So we had a lady by the name of Jeannie Bange in our neighborhood. And she, Jeannie, invited me to um, a summer camp at Ohio State University. Well, at Ohio State, I went to the summer camp and met John Hicks and Jack Tatum two Ohio State stalwarts and then went on to the NFL and played. So they had a football camp and after beating them in a foot race, I was pretty fast back in those days. <laughs> after beating them in a foot race, they asked me where I was going to college. And I said, Westinghouse. And they looked at me like Westinghouse, what is Westinghouse? I said, Westinghouse is appliance manufacturer because that's where, my, that's where I'm going. If my dad told me that if I didn't go to college, I was going to Westinghouse. And after they stopped laughing, <laughs> they adopted me. Aww, what they did, yeah. they, they trained me. They came to all my, my high school basketball games. Um, they introduced me to all their professors. And one of the guys that they introduced me to um, was a, um, what do you call it? A um, counselor at East, East High School. And I'll never forget this gentleman because he got me an introduction to junior college because I had no scholarship offers. He got me an introduction to junior college in Wharton, Texas. Now, <laughs> now you're from Ohio, right? I'm from Ohio. Okay. That's what I thought. Never, never been on a plane before in my life. No. Oh my so goodness. I, so I get on the plane going to Wharton, Texas. I land in the middle of the night in a town that I've never been in before. And the guys that are coming to pick me up are running late. So here I am at a, at a, at a, at a bus stop <laughs> waiting for these guys to come pick me up. So make a long story short, I got to Wharton College. And after no, keep in mind, no college uh, offers to play for, I ended up being a four-year All-American that started oh. at Wharton. And the drive and initiative came from sports and my family telling me that I can do anything if I put the effort in to do it. Now, I heard you say, I know when I introduced you football, but I heard you say basketball. So did you play a number of sports? I did. Okay. I played uh, football, I played basketball, and I wrestled as well. Wow. And um, I, I, I just always had that drive and the initiative, initiative to uh, succeed. Like I mentioned, I got um, from a, a, a non-recruited athlete to a four-year All-American, to a third-round draft choice in the National Football League. Third round? Yes, third-round draft wow. choice. Wow. I should have been higher, but 
I'm satisfied with that because I got an opportunity to meet the great Paul Brown and Mike Brown, who own the team. And they were two of my mentors. And Tell the first us which thing, team. Remember, not everybody's going to know those names. So. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, it was Cincinnati Bengals that drafted me. And then I played nine years with Cincinnati and one year with the Atlanta Falcons, and then I retired. One of the things that I remember, the first thing that Coach Brown told me, he says, uh, Gary Burley, the Pittsburgh Flash, that's what he used to call me. He says, you know, we know how good you are, blah, blah, blah. And he says, you know, one thing that you need to do, and I go, yes, coach, what is that? He said, while you're playing, he said, cultivate every relationship that you possibly can because you're only going to play for so long. That's why they call it the NFL, not for long. <laughs> and he I said, have heard that before. <laughs> he, said, he says that the relationships that you cultivate today have time to follow up with them because once you're out of the league and you try to call them, if you haven't called them before, they don't know you. And I took up on that and I said, okay, I'm going to be here and treat people the way they want to be treated, but also reach out and cultivate these relationships like he's saying. So anyway, uh, the things that I'm doing today um, to, to honor those people and to be um, somebody in the lives of student athletes, I developed my nonprofit, which is called ProStart Academy and Scholarship Fund. And what we do is we're a group of former NFL players and we teach kids the basic fundamentals of the sport. But we also add the academics that they're gonna need, not only to get in school, but stay there once they get there. And then the life skills side of it is to teach them how to what? How to cultivate relationships that are gonna take you to the places that you wanna go. And we've been doing that since 2007 when I met my lovely wife. The, the, the gist of it is to help not only cancer survivors and, and cancer champions, I can help a lot of people with this organization. Yeah. And that's what I choose to do. I wanna go back to something you just said that I thought is so critical and I believe in, and then I, I'm gonna ask you a few more things about your cancer journey. You said, treat people the way they wanna be treated. And I love that. I, I, I think I've done a blog post on that. I think I've done a video about it because growing up, I was taught to treat people the way, you know, I want to be treated, right? The, mm -hmm. the golden rule, but that doesn't work. And, but treating people the way they want to be treated, which some people call it the platinum rule. I love that. So just the fact that you know that, and it sounds like you knew it from a very young age, it oh yeah it's amazing I well mean, it's, it's my mother um god rest her soul always taught us that you know and, and and it's like this you don't you don't see color um you don't see the negative in people whether they're racist whether they're not whatever you treat them the way they want to be treated and you know then you can walk away. You can say that I, I didn't have any, yep. I didn't face any adversity. I didn't care about what they are, but I treated them like a human. Yeah. I treated them like they wanted to be treated. And, and we let it go with that. Let God take care of the rest of it. Oh, I love that. I love it. 
So I want to go back to, and you decide whether it was the transplant or or the first kidney surgery. I mean, there's there's a lot to choose from here, Gary, or <laughs> the cancer diagnosis. Um, what was your worst moment in all of that? My worst moment was when I realized that I might not be able to spend the rest of my life with the, the love of my life. And I said to myself, okay, Gary, um, you've always believed in God. You pray every day, every night. Now it's up to him whether you're going to be here or not. If he has a purpose for you, you're going to be here. If not, he's going to bring you home to heaven. So I can't lose either way. I, I, like I tell God all the time, I say, Father, I want to come to heaven, but not just yet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so beautiful. Um, and, <laughs> oh, and... and he answered that by saving my life. But to, to answer your question, the worst time of my life is when I realized that I could be without seeing my wife and my kids. And I've got 11 beautiful grandchildren and four, four daughters. And, you know, just the fact that I can be with them, you know, I've got extended time due to Gerilyn Agee, the lady that gave me the kidney. Um, I'm just so thankful that I can't do anything else but help other people get to this point. What was your best moment in all of that? My best moment was when they told me that I was in remission from cancer. And my doctor, Dr. Diego, who is uh, not only my, my doctor, but my friend, we've cultivated a relationship, developed a relationship that goes beyond doctor-patient. And when he came in and said, he looked at me, he goes, uh, you know, he's serious. You got you to gotta imagine somebody that... Uh, never cracks a smile, never does. He says, uh, well, looks like you're in remission. And I go like, looks like? <laughs> and, he says, <laughs> and he says, no, 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 you're, you're, you're in remission. And for the first time, and I had been, he'd been treating me for two years. He told me that you're, you're all good. And just do this, come in every six months and get a checkup and that was it. So that was my, um, the first, the A part of my happiest time. The, the, the B part was when I told my wife that I was in remission and we jumped up and down and we just <laughs> prayed and we just, we just, we just had a ball, you know, it's oh. just like, okay, this was all a bad dream, you know, mm -hmm. um, the cancer, the, the, the kidneys, all this stuff can be survived if you believe and you get early detection. Yeah. yeah. That's early, the key right there. Early, early detection. detection is really critical. Yeah. Um, you are not the first person who had something going on in their body, but just weren't paying as much attention to it because it didn't hurt them. It wasn't bothering them, but a family member or friend said, that's not right. You know, go get mm -hmm. kind of push them to check it out, whatever it might be. Um, so what is the one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning of your cancer journey? God, there's so many. Um, the fact that um, I relied on my, what do you call it? The, the training I got from sports hmm. taught me that never give up. And that's the first thing that I thought about is never giving up. Okay, I, I got cancer. Okay, that, that part is over. I know it. I know it now. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to sit back and die? 
or are you going to fight to live? And I chose fighting for living. So that was that was the moment. Okay, this is one of my favorite questions to ask. And, okay. you know, it's rare I get the same answer twice. It's happened only maybe two or three times now, but it's rare. So if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? Wow, you hit me with that one. I, I'd like to make it easy for everybody to contribute um, to healthcare. And, and the way they could do that is become an advocate, even if you don't have a disease, become an advocate for one of the major diseases that that um, are, are affecting our, our country. And, you know, whether it be the COVID-19, the COVID, uh, the COVID whether it be cancer, whether it be kidney, just be an advocate for that. And what that does is it gives hope to the people that are um, experiencing those health issues. It lets them know that somebody else cares other than their family and friends. And it gives them a roadmap to the success of reaching um, uh, healing. I guess that's, I can use that word. And it's just, it's just imperative that people realize that they can help people without spending money all the time. You know, still donate to your favorite cause, but reach out to people that are suffering yeah. or that are going to suffer because it's obvious with cancer, sooner or later, the bad time are going to hit. And if you know that going into it, you're prepared. So you have a game plan. That's what we used to say when we played sports. It's a, a game plan of how to survive. And anybody that is an advocate for that can teach that by just saying, hey, listen, early detection, or once you have been diagnosed, do this, this, and that. And we're on the same page because I feel like if you look at the AIDS movement, it wasn't until all the advocates came together and in the different groups, and they really came together on this common cause of, we are gonna get federal funding for research we are going to make it happen. This is the end game. And when they did that and they they made that their singular goal, it worked. There, there's a line item in the budget. Nobody ever talks about it, the Ryan White Act. That line item in the federal budget for AIDS research is untouchable, gets automatically increased every year, even though I think most people would it's fair to say that AIDS is a very manageable disease now. People can live 25 years with an AIDS diagnosis, which is incredible, which is wonderful. Um, but that's not true for cancer. And I feel like if 10% of people who were diagnosed with cancer or their loved ones, if 10% of those people, those survivors became advocates in the way that you just said, it would change everything. And, and if they joined together, right, and became this force, right, became a single team and joined together, um, it, it would, you know, it would, it would be amazing. But instead, every year, there's a fight to get federal dollars for cancer. And it's a struggle. And it's, it's kind of like, like, cross your fingers and hope, you know, oh hope, hope NIH doesn't lose money, you know, I mean, and, and it's, it's really, it really frustrates me. 
Um, but, but I mean, even if just 10% came together, it, it would be phenomenal. You know, it would be a game changer. And instead it's, it's very, um, it's very fragmented landscape. May I piggyback on to something you said about AIDS? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Well, back in the seventies, um, I went to a, um, weight control camp because I gained like whatever. And we had to go to, it was called the rice farm. The rice I remember farm. it now. Yeah. It's in North Carolina. So I flew down there, entered the, entered the, the program. And prior to starting, you have to go through a complete physical. Okay. Well, being the guy that I am, I'm sitting here waiting. I'm an hour early. And, um, I start walking through the hot, the hospital. Well, I ended up down in the basement and they, I see all these people. I mean, it's like 20 or 30 people lined up in wheelchairs and they look like they're dying. And I'm going like, you know, what the heck? And ahead of me is the morgue. So I knew I'm in the wrong place. So I turn around and I go out and the lady says, uh, Mr. Burley, where were you? I said, I was down in the basement. All these people um, were in wheelchairs and they just looked so sick. He said, oh, those are the AIDS patients. And that's what they did with them back in the 70s. They just stacked them up in there until they could get to them. And I'm saying, I mean, if you've ever experienced death, it was right there in front of me. It's like, who's going to help these people? What, what's going to be done? But Anyway, I, I, when you said AIDS, it just let me know how far we've come since 1978, I believe it was, or 79, somewhere in there. And now, like you say, 25, living 25 years, and those people, some of them were lucky if they lived 25 more minutes Yeah. You know, during that time. So I am so excited about that. And also the cancer research that's being done. And it's like, People just don't realize how serious cancer is until you get it. And then all of a sudden you wanna find out about it. Right now we can help people with cancer and help ourselves by having early detection, getting checked. All it takes is a blood and a urine specimen and it lets you know what you need to do next. Yeah, I'll throw a stat at you. 39% of Americans will experience cancer in their lifetime. Oh. 10 years ago, that was one out of three. It was only 33%. Now it's 39%. And we consider caregivers part of the equation. So we always add one caregiver for every cancer patient. So in our mind, two out of three Americans will experience cancer, either as a patient or as a caregiver in their lifetime. Those are crazy numbers. No doubt. Yeah. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire questions? Sure. All right. Can't wait to hear your answers. Um, Beach, desert, or mountains? Oh, beach, definitely. Ah, oh, yeah, you're my guy. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? All of the above. But ah. you only want one. Uh, I am one of the big, biggest. When I was a kid, uh, my sister and I used to watch the Beatles. They did a four-week show on Ed Sullivan. I don't know if you're old enough to remember that. But I Ed know Sullivan. Of it. <laughs> <laughs> Ed Sullivan had the Beatles on for four straight weeks and the crowds just went crazy. 
and I became a Beatle fan in 1964. Great story. I love oh, yeah. that. What is one word that best describes you? Uh, whew, survivor. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Anything James Taylor. Love it. Last meal you want to eat? Well, I've been into Chinese food lately, so I guess, really? I guess that might be the answer right there. The last person or people you want to see? Um, my wife and my grandbabies. Aww. And the last words you will speak? Thank you, Father. And aside from Cancer U, what is one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? UAB. Okay. And tell us again about your nonprofit and the best way for people to get in touch with you. Okay. Uh, my nonprofit, again, is a ProStart Scholarship Fund and ProStart Academy. And the best way to reach me is either on social media on Facebook or email is ProStartAcademy at BellSouth.net. Okay. How do, how do people find you on Facebook and... Oh, just Gary Burley. Oh, Gary Burley. Okay. Okay. And what was the other one you said? Uh, I'm on uh, Instagram, Instagram and Facebook. Instagram and mm -hmm. Facebook. Gary, thank you so much for sharing your story. I, um, you have me crying at the beginning and laughing throughout the entire time. So I really, really appreciate it. Well, don't let this be the last time we work together because uh, I feel that you have so much passion for what you do. There's got to be a reason for it. And we're going to talk about that later. But keep in mind that if there's anything that I can do to support you, don't hesitate to call. Oh, I won't. I have, I have plans already. Like they're in the works. <laughs> they're in. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.